we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 19th, 2009, and we're going to be starting part 14 of this particular study that we're really looking today closely at the Sabbath, and this, if it's this and maybe one more part, will be most likely the last studies we'll be doing on that subject. Uh, now, I've done two other teachings on the Sabbath from before, but a lot of the stuff that we've brought up in the last, it's going to end up being five or six parts, is going to be extra stuff relating to the Sabbath that are also pertinent issues. And um, if we go now to Colossians 2, verse 14, Colossians 2, verse 14, uh, Again, I, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and start with verse 13 on Colossians 2. And you, and, in other words, they're addressing a born-again Christian. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, Jesus, having forgiveness, having forgiven you all trespasses. So see, when we before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. But he, Jesus Christ, hath quickened, remember that word to me to be, means to be made alive, we're made alive through Jesus Christ, hath he, meaning Jesus, quickened together with him, Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, our sins are, are forgiven. The finished work of the cross. Now, verse 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, many Sabbatarians say, well, it's nailed to the cross, but the Sabbath isn't nailed to the cross. That's separate. Okay, we're going to look at that. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. See, we aren't supposed to be going around judging each other regarding that. But see, that's exactly what the Sabbatarians do to anybody that would have church on Sunday, or, or any other day of the week for that matter. They are constantly judging us for that very thing. And they're told... Not to judge you. Now, right before here, it said that the blotting of the handwriting of ordinances that was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out on the on the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, let's remember that word ordinances. And then we have in verse sixteen, part of the ordinances that are mentioned are respect of an holy day, of a new moon, and of the Sabbath days. These are what are mentioned here. Okay, now let's go to Ephesians. 2, verse 13, Ephesians 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh, meaning near, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's how we're made near to the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, okay? For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, meaning the war, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So remember we just talked about ordinances, and those are nailed to the cross? Well, it says here that Jesus Christ, having abolished in his flesh, how did he do that? through the finished work on the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection, through shedding the shedding of His precious blood. That's how He abolished in the flesh the enmity, or this war, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. In other words, this war that we that we had that existed prior to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Jesus Christ reconciled us to the Father 
through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his finished work of the cross, through shedding his blood to pay our sin debt. If we are born again Christians and we appropriate that, he's reconciled us to the Father. Then verse 17, And came and preached peace to you that were afar off. Really, what it's in reference to, we were, we were afar off from the Father because of our sin that separated us from the Father that Jesus Christ reconciled through his through the finished work of the cross. Again, verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. And through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. One Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit that lives inside a born-again Christian. Praise the Lord. Okay, But remember these words that are being used here. Ordinances, the law of commandments... Okay, now, in the Bible, the Ten Commandments are called statutes, ordinances, and decrees. To the shock and horror of Seventh-day Adventists, they will learn that they have been lied to by their leaders and many of the Hebrew roots, anybody that's the Sabbath keeper. Okay, They will learn that they've been lied to by their leaders and that the Ten Commandments are part of the ordinances that were abolished in the two portions of Scripture that I just read. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments, the moral part, the Nine Commandments, that they're bad. Okay? It doesn't mean that by the knowledge of them, you know, the Bible talks about, by them I knew I knew sin. Okay? It doesn't mean that they're bad, in other words. But we have to understand that the Ten Commandments are called statutes, ordinances, and decrees, and that they were actually part of what the Bible talks about was nailed to the cross... In Colossians 2, 14 through 17, which we just read, and Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. Remember, Jesus Christ said in his word, in verse 15 of Ephesians 2, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in the ordinances, for to make it himself twain one new man, so making peace. Now I'm going to prove that. What we just said, we're going to, because I don't want to just say that and then just drop it and go to the next point. Because the Seventh-day Adventists would say, yeah, but what about this or that? Well, we're going to address that right now. Every time a Sabbatarian, meaning the Sabbath keeper, sees the expression, the commandments or my commandments, they automatically think exclusively of the Ten Commandments. Now, I have battled this problem with with Seventh-day Adventists and Sabbath keepers more than any other thing in my ministry. That is why I'm devoting, it's going to end up being probably at least six more parts on top of the other two teachings I've done on the Sabbath. Because there's so many little objections they they try to bring up. And when they say commandments, they automatically, exclusively think it's always the Ten Commandments. Yet, there are many passages where these common expressions refer to what Sabbatarians would call ceremonial laws of Moses and not the Ten Commandments. There's many places in the Bible the phrase is commandments, the commandments, and my commandments, and the Lord commanded, and quote, what Moses commanded, are used so many times in the Old Testament in reference to what Sabbath keepers would call ceremonial law. To the exclusion of the Ten Commandments. So in other words, it's so convenient for them to say, well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the Ten Commandments. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's all kinds of places in the in the Old Testament by itself where that's not referring to the Ten Commandments. Ceremonial commandments, all these other things. So to make a blanket statement is to be totally not dividing the, the word of truth correctly. Uh, it would literally take ten pages to list all the verses that we're in reference to here. Where the Old Testament is referencing ceremonial law when it talks about commandments. Ten pages. Now, I also have in my attachment of last week's teaching a total of 38 pages of New Testament commandments that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. What do the Seventh-day Adventists or the Sabbatarians do with those other 38 pages? They want to focus on the Ten Commandments, and particularly, they want to focus on the Sabbath. To the exclusion of of the other 38 pages in the New Testament. New Testament admonitions and things that they say we, you know, we should do. 
we're not under the law, but admonitions on how we should live our life, these types of things. And, and they're in the Word, they're in the Word, the PDF of the last three teachings. Uh, so you can go look at those. I had a, uh, a dear brother prepare that, and he emailed it to me, and I included it in the last study. Now, I didn't go over those 38 pages because, again, I, I only have so much time here, but they're up there. And um, it's it just find it interesting how they want to strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. They want to focus on this one little thing and bring you into this bondage to the exclusion of so much else that they're totally ignoring. Every time a Sabbath keeper sees the expression statutes, ordinances, and decrees, they automatically exclude the Ten Commandments and apply it to only to what they falsely call the ceremonial law. Yet here are many passages where these common expressions refer to the Ten Commandments exclusively. Deuteronomy 5.1, um, where the Ten Commandments are called uh, statutes, ordinances. Ezekiel 20, 19-21, where the weekly Sabbath is called statutes and ordinances. Uh, Malachi 4.4, 4, the book closes with a call to keep the statutes and ordinances, which obviously include the Ten Commandments, because it would be unthinkable for such a doxology to leave them out completely. Nehemiah 9, 13-14, the weekly Sabbath is included without distinction. Leviticus 19, 1-37, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law are mixed together without distinction, without distinction and called my statutes and my ordinances. Deuteronomy 5, 1-6, and verse 25, the whole chapter that deals exclusively with the Ten Commandments, and the following terms are used interchangeably without distinction when talking about the Ten Commandments. And they are statutes, commandments, and judgments. Leviticus 23, the weekly Sabbath is lumped in with all the yearly Sabbaths without distinction, and they are called the Lord's appointed times and holy convocations. Ezekiel 20 calls the first and fourth commandment uh, my statutes and my judgments. So again, when we look at Colossians 2.14 and Ephesians 2.15, uh, part of the verses we just read, they refer to the whole Old Covenant law, including the Ten Commandments. It's very obvious. Okay, But the, again, the, the Seventh-day Adventists in particular uh, will, you know, they'll try to argue all of these points. Sabbatarians falsely teach that the Sabbath was a moral law and not a ceremonial law. They say all other special Jewish days, seasons, and yearly festivals are ceremonial, but not the weekly Sabbath. Yet Sabbath-keeping, by definition, is a ceremonial law. Only Sabbath-keepers keep are too blind to see it. So, the Sabbath is not a moral law because, number one, the priests were allowed to profane it, according to Matthew 12.5, Numbers 28, 9 through 10, Joshua 6, 15, 1 Kings 20, 29, and John 5, 10. The Sabbath is not a moral law because a man could break it without sin to save an animal from the pit, according to Jesus Christ. Remember when he said, don't you pull your an animal out of the pit? The Sabbath is not a moral law because Jesus broke the Sabbath without sin in John 5, 18. Jesus was without sin, yet supposedly he broke the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, he was without sin, so he wasn't sinning. The Sabbath was not a moral law because God never intended for all mankind to keep it. God never charged the Gentiles with breaking it, much less even keeping it. Only the Jews were expected to keep it. Interesting that God charges the Gentiles many times for breaking all nine moral commandments on the tablets of stone, but never once says anything about the Gentiles breaking the Sabbath. Now again, I, if, you're, if this is the first teaching you're hearing, please go back and listen to the last uh, verses 10, 11, or teachings 10, 11, and 12, which really lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. Here's another reason. If the Sabbath is moral, why then did God grow weary of them keeping it? God never said he was not weary of them not stealing or committing adultery. But God did say he could not endure their keeping Sabbaths. Where does he say that? Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1, verse 13 and 14. Now this is to an apostate, uh, apostate Jews here. But he wasn't weary of them keeping the other nine commandments. What is he weary of? Well, let's just read it. Isaiah 1, 
13. Sorry, it's taken me a little while to get there. Isaiah 1, uh, verse 13. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are trouble unto me, and I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make your prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. In other words, they had all this unbelievable sin in their life, yet they were keeping the Sabbaths. It was an abomination to God. They weren't keeping moral laws. They were keeping ceremonial laws and acting like they were holy. Which is exactly the same thing the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. And it was an abomination to God. It's an abomination then. It's an abomination now. So, God never grows weary of men keeping moral laws, but God did grow weary of men keeping the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, because they were doing it to the exclusion of the other nine commandments. So, therefore, the Sabbath is not a moral law, as many would try to convince you. Proof, this is interesting. And again, I, I am planning on doing a study on the Seventh-day Adventists after this study is over on the Hebrew roots because it's a good thing to segue into. But I, I, I wanted to bring this up because this is pretty interesting. I've dealt a lot with this in the last year. This is the proof that the official doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventist churches is that the mark of the beast is those that worship on Sunday. I listened to a study from a guy recently who was supposedly got involved in high-level occultism and... Uh, he uh, he gave this unbelievable testimony about this demonic thing. And a lot of it I agreed with. But when it got to about the hour and 15 minute mark, he gave the key to the whole thing. And you know what the key was for him? What Satan had revealed to him? Is that Satan wanted to make sure that nobody knew to keep the Sabbath. That's the big thing. That was the defining thing that Satan was concerned about regarding the Lord's true church. That they never find out that it's the Sabbath that's the key. And that really the only ones that Satan are afraid of are the Sabbath keepers. Because they're the only ones right with God. That's how they view themselves. It's true. I'm not saying everyone that's keeping the Sabbath may feel that way, but a lot of them do. And it's pride. And it's unbiblically, it's totally unbiblically justified. Hopefully we've proven that, and if not, stick around. This is from the Marvel of the Nations. This is Seventh-day Adventist literature. Marvel of the Nations, Elder U. Smith, page 170 and 183, where he says, quote, Sunday keeping must be the mark of the beast. And then he says, quote, The reception of his mark must be something that involves the greatest offense that be, can be committed against God. So in other words, the greatest offense that you can commit toward God, according to these Seventh-day Adventist prophets, is the keeping of Sunday. There's a lot of people that believe this. A lot of people believe this. And you talk about pride. Well, look at us. We're keeping the Sabbath and you're not. We're going to see what the early church fathers, I shouldn't say that word fathers, but the early church men that spoke on these things, we're going to see what they say about this subject. You know, this was the inception of the church, you know. The Bible says to seek ye the old paths wherein is wisdom. We're going to look at the old paths and see what they say about this subject. Now remember, the Seventh-day Adventist is a cult. It's a cult started by Ellen G. White. Supposedly she was taken up, I believe, in what they call the fourth heaven and shown the Ten Commandments and that this was what was important. And of all the Ten Commandments, what glowed the most brightly was the fourth commandment where it said to keep the Sabbath. This is how the Seventh-day Adventists got wrapped up into what they're wrapped up into from some woman who started this cult which is totally unbiblical in the end times, and we know, we're warned about in the end times that there's going to be a great falling away, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, and there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, 
and they're going to be and the church is going to be lukewarm. And so we have this woman start this cult, and she's shown that the Sabbath is the most important thing. It's it's the key thing. And it's what separates the Seventh-day Adventists from all the other religions in the world. And they're the only ones in the world that are right with God. Now, all cults believe that, don't they? Particularly the pseudo-Christian ones. Well, we're the only ones right with God, the Jehovah Witnesses. The Mormons feel the same way. It's all pride. It's all arrogance. They haven't sought the Word of God out. They've gotten away from the Word of God. They have not abided in the Word. And as a result, they're they are of their father the devil. For the most part, they're doing the work of the devil. They're trying to recruit you into their respective cult to take you to hell. They're enemies for the gospel's sake. I, it's not that I don't want them to go to heaven. I pray to God they do. But the bottom line is, is these cults are taking millions of people to hell. And this is part of earnestly contending for the faith, what we're doing here. Here's another quote. This is from Ellen G. White herself. The start, the, 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 the one that started this whole Seventh-day Adventist cult. This is from her writing on the Mark of the Beast, page 23. She says, quote, Here we find the Mark of the Beast, the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, on the part of the Catholic Church without any authority from the Bible. Oh, we're going to look at that real close, Ellen, as you're burning in hell, unless you repented, and I seriously doubt you did. The very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday on the part of... The, and see, this is something we have to guard against. And we're, and, of, of us thinking that the Sabbath literally changed one day over and now the same things that apply to the Sabbath now apply to Sunday. That's, that's something we have to really be careful about. And I didn't really understand that until I started researching this teaching. Got to be careful of that. And I'm not going to say much about that yet, but we will. Here, here's another quote. This is from the Advent Review, Volume 1, Number 2, August, this is from 1850. The Sunday Sabbath is purely a child of the papacy. It is the mark of the beast. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists, I know because I have a cousin that's one, they're obsessed with the Catholic Church. Obsessed. They're, the Catholic Church is the source of, now granted, yes, the Catholic Church is most likely going to be at the head of the one world religion, uh, I, I have no qualms about that whatsoever. You know, the great whore, I think, all, I think all the other religions are going to assemble and assimilate into her. I've done uh, my theories on who I believe will be the head of the, mass, of the, uh, of the Catholic Church. Just see the, the teaching I did on uh, Master Jesus. Just key in Master Jesus, which isn't the Jesus we know. In the keyword search box on my homepage... I did one on Maitreya and Master Jesus. I'm talking from occult writings. What are the occultists saying is going to happen? But the Seventh-day Adventists want to totally put everything having to do with Sunday worship as a creation of the Catholic Church. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because we could go back way before the, the start of the Catholic Church and see what these early church men were saying clearly in their writings about this exact subject. But it's so convenient for the Seventh-day Adventists to just blame everything on the Catholics and that way you're in your own mind thinking as a Christian, wow, they do have a point. It, it all has to do with the Catholic Church. Sunday's no good. Let's go further. Ellen G. White, here's another quote from that witch on The Great Controversy, Volume 4, 281. She says... Well, doesn't the Bible say for rebellion as as of the, of the sin of witchcraft? Who was more rebellious than the, than this witch? People that started these cults generally and almost every time were involved in some form or high lo, of high level witchcraft. Period. They were. They are of their father, the devil, and of his works they will do. Charles Taz Russell. Jehovah Witnesses, you know, he was a, uh, they, a lot of these guys stole the, the secrets of the Freemasons and started their own little cult. Joseph Smith, the Mormons, same deal. They incorporated the witchcraft from the Freemasons, which is really 
Babylonian mystery religions into the, into the top echelon of their respective occult religion. It wasn't entry-level stuff you're going to find out the first day you join the cult. But if you stay in it long enough, you, you eventually will. But then it's like you're in so deep you can't get out. So, Ellen G. White, Great Controversy, Volume 4, 281, she says the change of the Sabbath is the sign or the mark of the authority of the Romish Church. The keeping of the counterfeit Sabbath is reception of the mark. Wow, kind of funny, Ellen, because in my Bible I could have swore it says that you're going to take a, a mark in your right hand or your forehead that no man will be able to buy or sell without it. How can you say Sunday worship is that? It's a total lie. Fifth point. This is from Seventh-day Adventist Renounced by D.M. Cantwright of 1914. He says, The mark of the beast is Sunday keeping. A law will enforce upon Seventh-day Adventists that they won't obey. In other words, what are we implying here? That the Seventh-day Adventists and or the Sabbath keepers are the only ones in the world that are right with God. So they're going to eventually be put into a position where they're going to be forced not to keep the Sabbath or die. Because they're the only ones in the world that are right with God. Don't you understand that's the essence of every cult pride? Look at me. I'm holier than thou. Keep thou away from me, thou Cretan. That's how they... That's really the essence... Of what we're talking about. Pride. The mark of the beast is Sunday keeping and the law will enforce this upon Seventh-day Adventists that they won't obey. They will be outlawed, persecuted, and condemned to death. All oh, those poor Seventh-day Adventists and Sabbath keepers. They're the only ones on the planet that are right with the Lord. They strain at gnats and swallow camels all day long. They totally ignore everything that we're talking about today in the Bible. They choose to follow man and really to throw the Bible out the window or just take little select pieces And then he goes on to say, all of all the wild Adventist speculations and prophecies, this deserves to stand among the wildest. Now, this is a guy that evidently came out of it, and he's quoting what they say, and then he says, of all the wild Adventist speculations and the prophecies, this deserves to stand among the wildest. I, I agree. Hopefully this guy came out of it and got saved. Here's another quote from Advent Review Extra, pages 10 and 11, August of 1850, and it says, Sunday keeping is the institution of the first beast. And all who submit to obey this institution emphatically worship the first beast and receive his mark. Wow, the world according to the Seventh-day Adventists. Not according to the Bible, but you see how they instill fear in their followers? Oh, I don't want to take the mark. What can I do to not... Oh, I've got to keep the Sabbath. I've got to do it. The traditions of men have made the word of God of none effect. Remember, the word of God of none effect. The word of God teaches the exact opposite. of, And hopefully we've proven this. The word of God teaches the exact opposite. The mark... Uh, then it goes on to say in this quote, The mark of the beast, those who worship the beast in his image by observing the first day, meaning Sunday, are certain idolaters, as were the worshippers of the golden calf. Wow, I guess all those people that were here on earth prior to the Seventh-day Adventists, all those martyrs that died, a lot of them at the hands of the Catholic Church, most of them, all of the ones that came up through the, the apostolic line, the Lombards and the Waldensians and the Anabaptists, all those guys, I guess, were... They all went to hell. Every, that's, do you understand that's what they're saying? Those who worship the beast in his image by observing the first day? They're saying we're worshiping the beast in his image. So they're basically condemning us all to hell. Are certain idolaters, as were the worshipers of the golden calf. How arrogant. The Lord Jesus Christ rebuked this devil cult. Be angry and sin not. This should get you mad. What are we doing? We're improving, we're reproving 
the unfruitful works of darkness and having no fellowship with them. We're making manifest these things so that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge, according to Hosea 4, 6. We're doing this lest Satan get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do you want to be ignorant of his devices? Well, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you are surely ignorant of his devices. And if he wasn't, if, if we weren't capable, if he wasn't capable of doing that, if Christians weren't capable of being ignorant of his devices, why does the Bible say that verse? We are capable of it. We are capable of being destroyed for lack of knowledge, even though we're saved. Okay, so. Here's another quote. This is from that guy, D.M. Cartwright again. Seventh-day Adventism renounced. The seventh day, Saturday, must be kept that keeping Sunday is the mark of the beast, that all should pay tithes. Remember, this is part of that whole Jewish Levitical law system they say we got to keep. That's Miss White. That's Mrs. White is inspired as were the writers of the Bible. Okay, in other words, that that's what the Seventh-day Adventists teach, that Sunday, keeping Sunday is the mark of the beast. Now, why would they even bother trying to convert anybody that is worshipping on Sunday? Because the Bible is very clear, once you take the mark of the beast, that's it, you're done. There's no looking back. There's no way you can be saved. But yet they try to convert other people that are already doing Sunday worship. What about them before that they became Seventh-day Adventists? What, what if they were like a Christian or a nominal Christian in, in some denomination and worshiping on Sunday. Well, you've already taken the mark of the beast. You've already crossed the line. There's no hope for you. Why would they even bother? Yet they try to convert all these people. That keeping the Sunday is the mark of the beast, that all should pay tithes, and that Mrs. White, this is this LNG white witch that started, white witch, get a little pun there, Miss um, White is inspired as were the writers of the Bible. In other words, what they try to do is put their prophets on the same level as the writer's of the Holy Scriptures. Oh boy, you talk about blasphemy. And that the Bible must be interpreted to harmonize with her writings. How sickening. Number one, it's a cult that's totally contrary to the Bible on so many different levels. It adds to, it takes away. And then you have this woman who would, by virtue of her being a woman, be totally disqualified from being a pastor or a teacher of men, particularly, or a spiritual elder and overseer. And I've done a whole teaching on this, what women can do for the Lord. It's not chauvinistic, as I've been totally accused of. It's just what the Bible says. I'm not being a male chauvinist. I'm just saying. We're not supposed to have women pastors. And particularly, women that are starting their own cults, or men for that matter, it's just wrong. It's, it's, it's against Scripture. Am I therefore your, become your enemy because I tell you the truth? According to Galatians 4.16? Well, I've made a lot of enemies in the last couple months, I can tell you that. Well, praise the Lord. If, if it's done for the right reasons, if you have enemies, if all men hate you because you're wanting to stick to the Word of God, and that's the ultimate reason why, you know, I am hated, why anyone who is persecuted for righteousness' sake, according to the Bible. If they want to live by the Bible, and go by the Bible, and glorify the Word of God, and teach the Word of God, well, you're going to be persecuted one time or another. Now, let's see what... Um, what day did the early Christians worship on? This is after Jesus Christ, the resurrection, and the apostles. Okay, Let's, let's, let's read some quotes from there. Now, what we're going to find out and we're going to be proven here, is that we will see clearly that since the inception of the church, that Christians have always worshipped on Sunday, always, and that Christians state that they stopped keeping the Sabbath to worship on Sunday, and that started with the apostles. None of the writings say that they kept the Sabbath. The only mention of Sabbath keeping was by Eusebius in 300 AD by a cult sect known as the Ebonites, who who Eusebius says also worshipped on the first uh, day as well. They did both. They kept the Sabbath and they kept Sunday. Okay. The Ebonites were a cult of Judaizers, 
remember, they came into spider liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus. It's the same old deal. The Ebonites were a cult of Judaizers who enforced circumcision and rejected the Apostle Paul's teachings. They denied Jesus' virgin birth and his deity. In other words, it was a cult, just like the Seventh-day Adventists. The early Christians partook of the Lord's Supper. It seemed to be on every first day, on every Sunday. They took communion. They called the first day Sunday the Lord's Day. Very common expression. They called the day Jesus rose from the dead the Lord's Day. In other words, the Sunday that he rose from the dead, they called that the Rose Day, the Lord's Day. And they said that the reason they worshipped on the first day was because it was a weekly memorial of the day Jesus rose from the dead. It was a weekly memorial of the day that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, it wouldn't make sense. They outright state that no one prior to Moses, Adam, Noah, Abraham, etc., ever kept the Sabbath because it was Moses who first gave the Sabbath law and the Ten Commandments to man. You ever think about that? Nobody kept the Sabbaths, per se, before Moses, before it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Another point, while Sabbatarians will quote 20, 20th century authors who guess about what happened 1900 years earlier, we will quote from Christians whose writings are 1900 years old and spoke what they saw. Well, where does it, where, how can we find those? Well, here, I'm going to read you a whole boatload right now. I'm going to start out with Exodus 31, verse 16 and 17. Exodus 31, verse 16 and 17, where it says, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. This is physical Israel. This was given to the Jews exclusively on Mount Sinai. This was never given to the Gentiles. Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. End of story. In Justin Martyr's um, writing called The Apology was written around 140 A.D., which is well before the creation of the Roman Catholic Church in A.D. 318 through Constantine. Okay, Because this is the big thing. Oh, the Catholics did this. They're the ones... No, 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 no. The Bible's very clear on it. We've already looked at those verses. And the early church writers are very clear on it. This is not a subject that, that really we should have any confusion about. And hopefully we won't by the end of this. Nine out of the Ten Commandments are moral commandments, save the Sabbath, which was given exclusively to the Jews, reference the verse we just read, and is ceremonial in nature. We already got into that as well. And it's not a moral commandment like the nine others. In chapter 67 of his first apology, entitled Weekly Worship of the Christians, Writing to the pagan emperor, Justin Martyr states, quote, We bless the Maker of all through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place. But Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly. Because it is the first day on which God, having wrought the change in darkness and matter, made the world... And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. Sounds like a pretty good reason to me. Praise the Lord, Justin. He's very emphatic here. Sunday. When was that written? Well, approximately 140 A.D. Way before the creation of the Catholic Church. Let's look at some more. 250 A.D. This is from uh, the Epistle of Ignatius to the Tralians, chapter 9. He says, quote, On the day of the preparation, then at the third hour, he received the sentence from Pilate, the Father permitting that to happen. At the sixth hour he was crucified, at the ninth hour he gave up the ghost, and before sunset he was buried. During the Sabbath he continued under the earth in the tomb in which Joseph of Arimathea had laid him. At the dawning of the Lord's day, he arose from the dead. What is the Lord's day? Sunday. That's what they're in reference to. He arose from the dead. After the Sabbath. According to what was spoken of himself, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
The day of the preparation, then, comprises the passion, the Sabbath embraces the burial, and the Lord's day contains the resurrection. Next quote. This is from 90 AD from a uh, Christian named Didashi. This is from the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, chapter 14. Quote, Christian assembly on the Lord's day. Uh, but every Lord's day do ye gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after our confession with your transgressions, that your sacrifice may be pure. Let no one that is at variance with this fellow come together with you until they be reconciled, that your sacrifice may not be profane. For this is which was spoken of by the Lord in every place and time Offer to me a pure sacrifice. I am as a great king, saith the Lord, and my name is wonderful among the nations. Again, they're just reaffirming here that they came together and broke bread and they had um, uh, their assembly on Sunday, okay, which they refer to as the Lord's Day. And the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another quote from uh, Justin Martyr. Moreover, this is from the dialogue with Typho the Jew, the Antinicenean Fathers, Volume 1, page 204. He says, Moreover, all those righteous men already mentioned, um, after mentioning Adam, Abel, Enoch, Lot, Noah, Melchizedek, and Abraham, though they kept no Sabbaths, none of them kept Sabbaths, they were pleasing to God, though. And after them, Abraham, with all his descendants unto Moses. In other words, even Abraham, the starter, the father of, uh, of the Jewish nations, up until Moses, none of them kept the Sabbath either. And then he goes on to say, and you fleshly Jews, meaning those that want to be perfected in the flesh, those that are of the circumcision or the concision, as the Bible talks about, and you fleshly Jews were were commanded to keep Sabbaths that you might retain the memorial of God. For his word makes this announcement, saying that you may know that I am God who redeemed you. But again, they are the fleshly, fleshly Jews that he's in reference to. Another quote by him from the same dialogue with Typho says, There is no other thing for which you blame us, my friends, is there than this, that we do not live according to the law. This is what the, the Jews were blaming the true Christians for. This is the charge that the Jews were bringing against the true Christians, that they don't live according to the law. Nor are we circumcised in the flesh as your forefathers. Nor do we observe the Sabbath as you do. See, they were having the same problems back then as we're having now. With, and that's exactly why I'm doing this whole teaching. Exact same thing. It's crept back into the church in a huge way. Here's another quote from Justin, from uh, page 207. Of dialogue with Typho the Jew, anti-Nicene fathers, and he says, those who have persecuted and do persecute Christ, if they do not repent, shall not inherit anything on the holy mountain. But the Gentiles who have believed on him, meaning Christ, and have repented of their sins which they have committed, they shall receive the inheritance along with the patriarchs and the prophets and the just men who are descended from Jacob. Even though they neither keep the Sabbath, nor are circumcised, nor observe feasts. Assuredly, they shall receive the holy inheritance of God. It shows what they thought about the Sabbath. Here's another quote from Justin. Now, they're all not just going to be from Justin, but he had some real good ones, so I wanted to include them. I I left a lot out, I mean, just for time's sake, but this is from page 206 of the same reference. He says, But if we do not admit this, we shall be liable to fall into foolish opinion as if it were not the same God who existed in the times of Enoch and all the rest, who neither were circumcised after the flesh, nor observed Sabbaths, nor any other rites, seeing that Moses enjoined such observances. See, this all happened, this all started with the Sabbath through Moses. Okay? For if there was no need of circumcision before Abraham, or the observance of Sabbaths, of feasts, and sacrifices before Moses, no more is there need of them now. After that, according to the will of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been born without sin, a virgin sprung from the stock of Abraham. Okay, here's a quote from Tertullian uh, on in answer to the Jews, 
again, this is what they were dealing with. They were dealing with religious Jews. Um, this is page 155 of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, Tertullian. This was, quote was given around 200 A.D., and he says it follows accordingly that insofar as the abolition of the carnal circumcision and the old law is demonstrated as have been consummated at specific times, also so also the observance of the Sabbath is demonstrated to have been temporary. The demonstration of the Sabbath has clearly been observed to have been temporary and only applying to the religious Jews under the Levitical system of, of law that was instituted through Moses, in other words. It's what Tertullian says. Here's another quote from Tertullian on page 153 of the same resource. Let him who contends that the Sabbath is still to be observed as a bomb of salvation and circumcision on the eighth day because of threat of death teach us that in the earliest times righteous men kept Sabbath and practiced circumcision. And so were made friends of God. Therefore, since God originated Adam uncircumcised and inobservant of the Sabbath, consequently his offspring also, Abel, offering him sacrifices uncircumcised and who was also inobservant in the Sabbath, was by him was also commended though. Noah also uncircumcised and yes, Noah was also inobservant of the Sabbath. Uh, God freed him from the deluge for Enoch a most righteous man, uncircumcised and inobservant of the Sabbath. He was translated <laughs> in the world. Melchizedek, also the priest of the Most High God, they say I'm circumcised and inobservant of the Sabbath, but Melchizedek was incarnate Jesus Christ in the flesh. We got into that last week. But he was chosen as a priesthood of God. So, again, he's trying to give these examples to show these Jews how insane this argument that they were bringing that we have to keep the Sabbath and we have to be circumcised in order to please God and it was really dependent on salvation. He's trying to show them that that, that does not apply. Here's another quote from Tertullian in, in a work he wrote called To the Nations chapter 1 verse 133 and he says others suppose that the Son is the God of Christians because it is well known that we regard Sunday as the day of joy. Now, this is another big thing that the uh, Seventh-day Adventists bring up. Oh, you're worshiping the sun god, because you worship on Sunday. Well, it's the Lord's Day, according to all these early church writings. It's well referenced. And if they accuse you of that, well, then you can accuse them of worshiping Saturn, which is an acronym pretty much for Satan, because they worship on Saturday. Saturn, the sixth planet from the sun. Saturn having six letters in that word. Saturn also being an interchangeable term for Satan. I mean, we could go down that road all day long if you want to play that game. In other words, I'm, I'm giving that as a, as a argument. Okay, so then here's another quote from Tertullian on idolatry. Uh, 200 AD. To us, Sabbaths are foreign. They were foreign to the early church. They were foreign. Here's a quote from the Epistle of Ignatius to the Magis Magnusons, chapter 9, 250 A.D. Remember, this is before the formation of the Catholic Church. If therefore those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's Day, Sunday, on which our life has also sprung up again, and by his death, whom some deny, by which mystery we have obtained faith and therefore endure, that we may be, that we may be found the disciples of Jesus Christ, our only Master. They just state it as a matter of fact. They're no longer observing the Sabbath. Uh, here's a quote from Eusebius, 300 A.D. They did not therefore regard circumcision, nor observe the Sabbath, neither do we, because such things as these do not belong to Christians. End of quote. That was from Eusebius in the Ecclesiastical History Book 1, Chapter 4. These things don't belong to Christians. Here is a quote um, from a work called Church History, Chapter 1, uh, 4 and 8. This is um, Eusebius of Caesarea. He says, quote, 
they, meaning the pre-Mosaic saints of the Old Testament, did not care about the circumcision of the body. These are the pre-Mosaic, the, the, let's say, Bible believers prior to Moses. They did not care about the circumcision of the body, neither do we Christians. They did not care about observing Sabbaths, nor do we. They did not avoid certain kind of foods, neither did they regard the other distinctions which Moses first delivered to their posterity to be observed as symbols. Nor do Christians of the present day do such things. In the present day, that was around 300 AD. Here's another quote from Eusebius. Uh, this is from the Proof of the Gospel, chapter 4, 16 and 186. He says, quote, The day of his light, meaning Christ's light, was the day of his resurrection from the dead, which they say as being the one and only true holy day, the Lord's day, is better than any other number of days as we ordinarily understand them, and better than the days set apart by the Mosaic law, for feasts, for new moons, and Sabbaths, which the Apostle Paul teaches are a shadow of days, and not days in reality. They're a shadow of things to come. Let's go further. Here is from Athanasius. I can't even say this guy's name. Athanasius. Now this is 345 AD. He says on the Sabbath and circumcision, the Sabbath was the end of the first creation. The Lord's day was the beginning of the second. That is profound. I read that and I was like, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. The Sabbath was the end of the first creation. The Lord's Day was the beginning of the second. Remember, we're a new creation in Christ. The Bible talks about that. We're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but not I, but Christ liveth in me. We're supposed to be crucified with Christ according to Galatians 2.20. We're reborn, the reborn spirit inside us. Born again. Isn't that cool? I, I thought that was just awesome. Um, then he goes on to say so we honor the Lord's day as being the memorial of the new creation it's just a different way of looking at it but man that was profound Uh, then here's Cyril of Jerusalem this is 350 AD and this is on the catechal lectures and he says fall not away either into the sect of the Samaritans or into Judaism for Jesus Christ hath henceforth ransomed you stand aloof from all observance of the Sabbaths and from any calling of calling meats common or unclean. Okay, so this was a big thing they were battling back then. And um, again, it's really coming into now. Here is a quote from John Chrysostom, 387 AD, from Homilies on Galatians 2.17, and he says, You have put on Christ... You have become a member of the Lord and have been enrolled in the heavenly city, and yet you still grovel in the law of Moses. How is it possible for you to obtain the kingdom? Listen to Paul's words that the observance of the law overthrows the gospel. And learn, if you will, how this comes to pass. And tremble and shun this pitfall. Why do you keep the Sabbath and fast with the Jews? End of quote. Man, I like that guy. He just nails it. Praise the Lord. This is a quote that I pose to every Sabbath keeper and to every Seventh-day Adventist out there. This exact quote that I just read from this dear brother. Man, you still grovel in the law of Moses. How is it possible for you to obtain the kingdom? Man. Here's another one. This is a uh, last quote. This is 597 A.D. from Gregory in a work entitled Letters 13.1. And it says, quote, It has come to my ears that certain men of perverse spirit have sown among you some things that are wrong and opposed to the holy faith so as to, so as to forbid any work being done on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day. What else can I call these men but preachers of the Antichrist? Whoa! Now this is really... This is what the Seventh-day Adventists are accusing us of and the Sabbath keepers many times. But they're they're firing back here 
that anyone that was telling to do these things are actually preachers of the Antichrist. And this is interesting. He says, who when he comes, who when the Antichrist comes, and this was written in 597 AD, when the Antichrist comes will cause the Sabbath day, as well as the Lord's day, to be kept free from all work. Interesting. For because he, the Antichrist, pretends to die and rise again, he wishes that the Lord's day to be held in reverence. And because he compels the people to Judaize, that he may bring back the outward right of the law and subject the perfidy of the Jews to himself, he wishes the Sabbath to be observed as well. Interesting. I mean, I, I can't say it's going to exactly play out that way, but it's an interesting thing he brings up. Uh, then he goes on to say, for this, for this which is said by the prophet, you shall bring in no burden through your gates on the Sabbath day, Jeremiah 17.24, could be held as long as it was lawful for the Lord to be observed according to the letter. But after the grace of the Almighty God, our Lord Jesus Christ has appeared, the commandments of the law, which were sp first spoken figuratively, cannot be kept according to the letter. For if anyone says that this, for, for if anyone says that this about the Sabbath is to be kept, he must needs say that the carnal sacrifices are to be offered as well. He must say too that the commandment about the circumcision of the body is still to be retained, but let him hear what the Apostle Paul says in opposition to him, if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And that goes along with keeping the Sabbath. Now, I've gotten several things from... Seventh-day Adventist sources recently where the Catholic Church is trying to put pressure on certain governments in order to enforce Sunday. And they're saying this proves the Seventh-day Adventist point that worshiping on Sunday is ultimately taking the mark of the beast. Because look at what the Pope's doing. He's proving... He started the Sabbath. Now we've just proven that's a total lie, okay? But he started Sunday, the the, uh, the or the Sunday keeping. He started this, and now it's going to get to a point where they're enforcing Sunday worship and a Sunday day of rest, and that proves that the Seventh Day Adventists are right, and it's equating that with taking the mark of the beast. He kind of alludes to this, and this is in 1597 from Gregory, but he's saying they're going to try to make you observe both Saturday and Sunday. Now you know. How that ends up playing out, I don't know. But hopefully we've proven the point about the Sabbath at this point that is something that you want to stay away from. Um, the Encyclopedia Britannica, what does it say? It says, Sunday, the first day of the week in Christianity, the Lord's Day, the, the weekly memorial of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, the practice of Christians gathering together for worship on Sunday, dates back to apostolic times. But the detail of the actual development of the custom are not clear. Well, we've made it clear. We've, we've looked at the quotes from the early, these early churchmen, uh, brothers in Christ, and obviously they've made it crystal clear. Before the end of the first century AD, the author of Revelation gave the first day its day, the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10. Okay, now we've heard all these early church dear brothers relate what we need to avoid here. That that Sunday is clearly the Lord's Day. Okay? Well, we go to Revelation chapter 1, which was written around 96 AD. John on the Isle of Patmos. Okay? The the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay? That's how, how he's also referred to. John has this vision, and he says in verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of, the, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice, why was he in prison? The first thing he mentions is for the word of God. How many people are willing to defend the word of God? I mean, truly defend it in the Seventh-day Adventist or in the Hebrew Roots Zionist, Christian Zionist movement. They're, the first thing they do is attack it or their, or their teachers and rabbis. 
You follow Ellen G. White, what do you think she's doing? Do you think she's going with the... No, we have to harmonize the Word of God with Ellen G. White's teachings. No, we have to tear down the Word of God in the Hebrew Roots Movement. We have to question it. We have to degrade the New Testament. We have to... They do this. We have to have the Midrash to interpret it, or these extra-biblical writings. We have to have a rabbi who understands Hebrew. But it says here... It says the reason that he was in prison was the first reason was for the word of God. Jesus said in his word, I've magnified thy word above my name. Now, we've talked a lot about the word of God today. So, I think it's a very important thing. And then it says, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, that's why he was in prison. The testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God. It sounds like the word of God was pretty important to Paul. I'm, I'm sorry, John. And Paul. But anyway, verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, the Spirit, capital S. And I heard behind me a great voice and as of a trumpet. And this is where he gets the whole vision of Revelation. But he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It was Sunday. Okay, it's how it's always referred to in all of these writings. And it's a, it's a matter of fact, okay? So anyway, just, just wanted to point that out. Going back to the Encyclopedia Britannica definition, St. Justin Martyr, philosopher and defender of the Christian faith, in his writings described the Christians gathered together for worship on the Lord's Day. The Gospels or the Old Testament was read, the presiding of the minister preached a sermon, and the group prayed together and celebrated the Lord's Supper. I'll, you know, I tell you what, this celebrating of the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day, I'm not saying it's what saves you, but it sounds like a really good thing. The Emperor Constantine of 337, um, a con they're saying a convert to Christianity, the convert to pseudo-Christianity to bring people into bondage, the modern-day start of the Catholic Church, uh, he introduced the first civil legislation concerning Sunday worship on 321 when he decreed that all work should cease on Sunday. Now, this is what the Seventh-day Adventists want to key on. They want to ignore all of the obvious other things that we talked about today. And say, see, look, this is a purely a, a child of the papacy. This is certainly, this is totally fruit from the Catholic Church. Now, they're wanting to ignore everything else that we just read today. All the other quotes, all what the Bible says. And blame everything. So that will get us to just totally throw the baby out with the bathwater. Demonize Sunday and focus on the Sabbath. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it, Christian. Because I bring these things up because I'm seeing it more and more and more and more lately. So, and then it says this law aimed at providing time for worship was followed later in the same century and then in subsequent centuries by further restrictions on Sunday activity. The real reason if the papacy imposed something like this would be so that you could go to their state-sponsored corporate churches Catholic churches, which is which had melded pseudo Christianity and all the pagan religions together, and they had holidays like Saturnalia, which they converted into Xmas, things like that. They com they tried to combine like All Saints Day with you know the uh, pagan holiday of um, Samhain, which we have as Halloween. They combined paganism and pseudo Christianity together. Now I've done teachings on. Xmas, I've done teachings on Halloween, uh, that you can go reference, I've done ones on Ishtar or Easter, they're all pagan holidays, with a Christian veneer. And yes, that did start with the Catholic Church. But we need to be real careful that we don't lump Sunday worship into all of this and say it's a, it's a creation of the Catholic Church, because that's a lie from the pit of hell. We have Scripture, to back it up, which we gave you today, and we've given you that in subsequent teachings. And we also have the writings of the early church uh, brothers that confirm this to us. So if we go, just ending here. Okay, so in conclusion, just some more points to think about here. Now, again, I've left a lot of stuff out. I tried to hit the high points on this. 
teaching. There's a lot more I could have included, particularly in regard to Seventh-day Adventist objections. But, you know, at this point, this is going to be five teachings on the Law and the Sabbath. Uh, this is also going to be, I have another two teachings on the Sabbath exclusively that I did. So a total of seven teachings where we biblically backed up uh, this premise. This is, if you believe the Sabbath is getting you to heaven, it is a damnable heresy. It is not of works lest any man should boast. And obviously this is something uh, that we need to avoid. Some questions to ask yourself, if you're still questioning this. Why is there no example of exclusively Christians coming together on the Sabbath day as a church or a prayer meeting after the resurrection of Christ? Why is there no commandment in the New Testament for Christians to keep the Sabbath holy? New Testament Christians. Why, um, while Paul taught in the synagogue up to 84 times, why does the Bible never say he kept the Sabbath? If Paul's actions of going into the synagogue on the Sabbath and preaching 84 times in the book of Acts makes him a Sabbath keeper, then can we say that a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, can we call a Seventh-day Adventist pastor a Sunday keeper if we invite him to 84 Sundays in a row to teach us about God's Word? In other words, he was going into the synagogue to try to convince the religious Jews of the error and the fallacy that they were in. It didn't make him a Sabbath keeper because he was trying to go there and help them with this. So this is the big thing that you have to kind of bear in mind. So conversely, can we call the Seventh-day Adventist pastor a Sunday keeper if we invite him for 84 Sundays in a row to teach us about the Word of God? Obviously, no. Just some things to think about there. Hopefully, we've... We've made this point crystal clear. Um, you know, I, I, there's, there's nothing more I can do on, on this end. I really don't believe that God wants me to spend any more time on this. Uh, we're going to go into the next part, um, back to the to embrace the Hebrew Roots Movement. We're going to be addressing specifically some of the attacks that have been leveled against me, not because I'm so much wanting to defend myself, but that I want to just clarify certain things if there's any question in regard to uh, some of the Christian Zion Hebrew Roots attacks that have been leveled against me. Anyway, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do humbly come before you and we thank you for this time you've given us, Lord. I praise you, Lord God, for the word of God, for our salvation. I pray, Lord God, that you bless my listeners in the name of Jesus Christ, that your angels would encamp around about them, that you would give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, and ears to hear. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness, forgive us of any sins and trespasses, Lord God, as we forgive those who have sinned against, against us, Lord, I do pray for your mercy. I pray, God, that for our unsaved family members, that you would save their souls, that your fear would be upon them, that that fear would drive them to repentance, and that you'd use the body of Christ mightily in the days to come, that we would not have fear of man, but that we would fear God, and that you would guide us in all truth, Lord, you would keep us humble, and help us, Lord God, and in, in, um, just give us discernment and wisdom regarding the days ahead, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.